today on Let Me Be Frank. Gosh, what are we going to talk about? Bishop Caggiano has a few topics on his mind. First, he'll take us deep into the presentation of the Lord, or Candlemas, which in the tradition of the church marks the end of Christmas. And then a look at Saints Blaise and Agatha. And then in the second segment, he previews an upcoming video series that focuses on and helps parents as the primary educators of their children in matters of the faith. Lots of stuff ahead, so keep your radio right here on 1350 AM or 103.9 FM, or keep us on your phone using the Veritas mobile app. The app is available at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at VeritasCatholic.com. And Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. John Paul II told young people, The church needs your youthful ideas in order to make the gospel of life penetrate the fabric of society. So, Foundations in Faith is inviting all Diocese Bridgeport parishes to apply for parish support grants from the John Paul II Fund for Religious Education and Faith Formation. The St. John Paul II Fund focuses on young people and their ideas to elevate and invigorate their faith formation experience. Applications will be open from February 15 to April 1. To learn more or to apply, visit foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, Excellency, good morning. So good to you see know, you. You know, see, it's good to see you in person. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, again, uh, in front of each other. So that's, uh, that's a very good thing. And I'm a little excited because, actually maybe nervous is a little bit more of the word, because I'm following your lead today. Oh, I know. So, uh, you know, those who are listening, Steve is excellent in outlining what we should talk about in the topics. And today it's a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) So look, he's beginning to perspire already. It's great. I can see you in person. (laughs) (laughs) See all the sweat. No, but it's going to be excellent. So so where should we start, Excellency? All right. So we're at the beginning of February. And in my mind... That's one of the pivot points. It's interesting. Uh, even in the church, Lent can, can actually begin many times in the month of February. And in my mind, it's the natural transition from the ho- holy days that we celebrate at Christmas Epiphany to now preparing ourselves for the Lenten journey. Now, this year... We're not going to have Ash Wednesday till the beginning of March. So it allows February to kind of shine on its own. And there are some great celebrations in the month of February, right? Yes. And I want to talk about three of them and that have particular relevance to me, right? So presentation, both as a man of faith and as a priest, was a feast that always I found beautiful and fascinating for the ritual attached to it, the theological significance, and the fact that it officially closed Christmas in the old calendar. Right. Right. Then St. Blaise with the blessing of throats and St. Agatha who follows a few days later. And for me, St. Agatha's has always a special part because it was my very first assignment as a priest was to the parish of St. Agatha in Brooklyn in Sunset Park. So that's what I want to talk about, right? These feasts that in the rush to get into Lent, we sometimes forget in themselves are quite beautiful and instructive. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
So, okay. So let's talk about the presentation that just happened. Right. Um, so Steve, tell me, what's the thing that sticks out in your mind when we talk about the presentation? Uh, to me, it's um, Simeon mm-hmm. and, um, oh gosh. Anna. Anna, yes. Anna. And so how, uh, how uh, Simeon, how, how they both were promised that they would see the Messiah before Correct. they died. Correct. Correct. Right. So the presentation is 40 days after the celebration of Christmas, right, because it fulfills the Old Testament requirement in the time of Jesus that a mother who gave birth needed to be purified, ritually purified, and that there was the need for an offering for every son born, particularly the firstborn son, in line with the, uh, the requirements in the Torah that go all the way back to the slaughter of the firstborn sons, hmm. right? Yes. Right, in the plague. Yes. The last plague of Pharaoh. So there is that need to offer the firstborn son to the Lord, and that's ultimately what happened in the presentation. Now, what's interesting is the connection with the Old Testament, right? So it's the liberation of God's people, right? From Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the Promised Land, led essentially by Moses until they actually crossed in, and then Joshua led the people into the actual Promised Land. And now this child appears in the temple, and he is the new Moses. He is coming to do what? What does Simeon say? We, every Compline, whoever prays night prayer in the church, says, that, Lord, now let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have promised, right? A light to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Hmm. Right? So there is this sense that the light has come, that the glory of his, that liberation is at hand in this little child. And you're right. God promised him and he would, he would be, he would, he would not see death until he actually saw the Savior. He actually held the Savior in his hands. So in that sense, in my mind, it makes sense that the presentation of the Lord is, is obviously associated with Christmas because it's, there's almost an epiphany there, right? So we speak of the Magi, the epiphany. We speak of Cana being an epiphany, right? But this, in a sense, is also an epiphany. There's a proclamation of who this child is. And it's at the hands of an old, really quite old man, as tradition holds, who was faithful enough to be able to see what just about everybody else did not see. And when you go deep into the story, even into Luke's account, there are some fascinating details that we sometimes forget. For example, what they offered, they offered, Mary and Joseph offered the equivalent, right, of two turtle doves, two pigeons, because that was the offering of the poor. Right. So we already see firsthand the struggles the Holy Family has. And we sometimes forget that when we struggle in our own families. But God entered into poverty so that those who are poor could become rich. Right? The other thing that's fascinating in my mind 
is the connection that Mary has with the work of salvation, which is clear in the presentation. She is the virgin, sinless vessel for the incarnation. That's clear. Jesus would say later on in the Gospel of Luke, who is my mother and father? Right? Who are my brothers? Those who hear the word of God and do it. Well, that is Our Lady. So she's his mother twice, <laughs> physically and spiritually. Right. But what does Simeon say? Simeon says? He says, a sword shall also pierce your heart. So we've spoken before about Our Lady of Sorrows. But again, it reminds us that anyone who is going to bear witness to Christ will suffer for that. Yeah. Our Lady above all others. Yeah. Right? One of the interesting things also that comes out of the presentation, which again fascinates me because I'm fascinated by religious symbolism, right? Because symbols can speak in ways words cannot speak. We call it Candlemas Day, mm -hmm. right? And this, again, it comes from the words of Simeon, that you are a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. But how do candles figure in our practice of faith? I mean, it's very prominent starting with the candle, which is the Paschal the, candle. The Easter candle, right. The Paschal candle, which in the fire of Easter night, we light as the one light that the darkness cannot extinguish. So again, at the Easter vigil, all the candles of church are lit from the one. Now, for us who are doing this now, for those who are listening, do we remember do we recall when we come to church that the candles at altars, the candles at the high altars, the candles at the, at the altars of reposition of the Blessed Sacrament, that they all flow from that one candle, that all that symbolism of the conquering of life over death, which happens on that altar in the representation in grace without blood of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Interesting, right? Yes. And of course, now we sometimes use um, uh, candles other than beeswax because it should be 51% beeswax, but they are actually very expensive and a lot of parishes are struggling. So they use other forms of wax. They use even those cylinders mm. that kind of like, I call them the fake candles <laughs> with the cylinders inside. No offense to anybody who uses them. <laughs> right. But the norm is beeswax candles because of the connection to the light of Christ, which is revealed here. He is proclaimed, the first place in sacred scripture where he's proclaimed the light is here mm. out of the words of Simeon. So for those who may not know this, on Candlemas Day, on the presentation, priests are invited to have all the candles that would be used throughout the year to be blessed. And there can actually be a procession of candles Right? Again, welcoming the light, welcoming the Lord in the temple. Now, in many parishes, particularly in COVID, I'm not sure that was done. Right, yeah. But we please God next year when we get back to more of a whatever normal is, <laughs> we would be able to do that. So I think the feast of the presentation is so rich in so many different ways. Yeah. Right? Yeah, underappreciated a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. And then when you say February 2nd in the United States, what do people think of? Groundhog Day. Exactly. <laughs> but interesting. What's the, what does the groundhog, whatever his name is, I forget now. Yeah. 
what is he supposed to do or not do? He looks for his shadow. Okay, and if he has a shadow, what happens? Uh, I can't remember. One of them is uh, six more weeks of winter. I the think other if one... he sees his shadow. Okay. <laughs> if he sees his shadow, it's six weeks of winter. If he doesn't see a shadow, then there's an early spring. But don't you think it's interesting that it's the light that oh, creates yeah. the shadow? Right. And there is some literature that says that whole ritual comes from Germany that is associated in a vague way with Candlemas Day. Interesting. And now it's been secularized with um, that famous groundhog. I forget yes. where he is in Pennsylvania. Punxsutawney. That's it, yeah, wherever, <laughs> wherever he lives. <laughs> right. right. So, I, 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 again, I, I, I think it's one of the most, one of the more beautiful feasts we have, and one that many Catholics perhaps don't necessarily have the opportunity to celebrate. I would encourage them next year to do so. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, uh, that's one of the great things about this show is that um, you can open up the richness of things that are often overlooked by us in today, you know, in the, in the church. Right. And I think in part, too, it's a challenge to our pastors because many people obviously have chores to do in the day and are working. So if you're going to have a celebration at 9 a.m., many cannot come. Right. But this is the sort of celebration that I would really ask our pastors to consider having in the evening so that people could come. And then you could have a candlelight procession. Yes, yes, exactly. Right, in the darkness of a February night. Yeah, yeah. It's tremendous. And a, a two-year-old or a three-year-old who comes, probably against their will, <laughs> <laughs> but when they see that, the Lord speaks to them deeply in their hearts without words. That's what faith is about. Yeah, exactly. And then, growing up, it's the second of the three feasts, which is Feast of St. Blaise. Okay. Now, you know St. Blaise. Tell me, tell, what, what, you know the stories of St. Blaise, right? Uh, I, I think, if I remember, there was a, a, a child who had a bone or something Fish stuck bone. in his throat. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, St. Blaise uh, gave him a blessing and, and saved the child's life. Correct. The interesting thing is, Blaise, as a young man, was very religious. He, he lived in Armenia, right? And he eventually became bishop, very pious man, very loving man, very gentle man. And tradition holds that he spent a great deal of time in prayer with animals. Hmm. And he cured the animals. Huh. Of their, of their illnesses. So there's two stories associated with Blaze. That's the first. Okay. Right? Where the child, the woman's child was healed. The second is a woman came to him <laughs> who had a pig <laughs> who was captured by a wolf. Oh. And Blaze commanded the wolf to let go of the pig, and the wolf did. And the pig was healed. Wow. So both associated with the mouth and the throat, because the, obviously the wolf was going to swallow the pig. <laughs> what it was. And, and therefore he became the patron saint of illnesses of the throat. And again, for many of you, you may know this, but um, there is on this day, St. Blaise, a particular blessing that every person who comes to church can have imparted upon them to ask Blaze's protection against illnesses of the throat and every other evil, it says. Aha. Uh-huh. Not just of the throat. Now, again, that's done in many different ways. It could be done individually by a priest, a deacon, or even a layperson if the crowds are large enough. Okay. And it could be done 
as an assembly, a general prayer. Now, you just made that face. That's why I'd love to be in, together with you in person. <laughs> when I said layperson, you, you gave me that look. Yeah. All right. You have to understand that there are different types of blessings. There are different forms of blessings. Okay. And some of the blessings are reserved to the clergy, some reserved only to priests. But there are other blessings that are more generic, blessings that are given to the mystical body of Christ. Okay. So when you lead your family or your son or wife lead your family in grace at dinner, you're asking a blessing on the food, which a layperson can certainly do. Right. In this case, it is the same. It's of that same genre. That Now, I, I think it would make sense in pastoral practice that the priests and the deacons impart the blessings simply because that's a natural part of their ministry. For a layperson to do it, it would be an extraordinary act within the liturgy. It is permitted, but it's an extraordinary act. Okay. But there are cases, I remember, when, again, when I was at St. Dominic's, when we had the celebration of the blessing of throats in the evening, uh, without exaggeration, there would have been 500 people there. Wow. Without exaggeration. Yeah. The only thing that, that dwarfed that was Ash Wednesday, where there would have been thousands of people come to thousands of people come to mass. So the sacramentals, the blessing, so in those cases, even I used late, because we just could not do it. They'd right. be there for hours. But, but the point is, the sacramentals that associate with the blaze speak powerfully to the heart. So then, if you had your throat blessed, allow me to ask, how do you use your throat to give glory to God? So do your words and mine give glory to God or glory to someone or something else? And the evils that we speak of are not just the physical evils. They are also the sins we commit, the moral evils that are committed by the throat and mouth that we have to be watchful of. We ask St. Blaise for his help. Yeah. Right? Yes. And then, of course, there's St. Agatha, who celebrated on the 5th. Of February, of February. And St. Agatha, I knew nothing of St. Agatha until I went to the church of St. Agatha as a, as a newly ordained, I was newly ordained. And Agatha is, of course, an Italian saint. So right there, she went up in my book. <laughs> <laughs> From Sicily, Catania. She, um, she was the victim of the unwanted sexual advances of a Roman official stationed in Sicily who absolutely at the age of 15 wanted her to marry him. And he knew she was a Christian and he tolerated that, but she had committed her life to be a virgin, consecrated life to Christ. And of course he, that was, that was something he could not broach. So he did many different ways he tried to, to convince her. For example, he had her taken and imprisoned in a brothel, <laughs> okay, so that she would go over to a life of sin and then her allegiance to Christ would be weakened and then she'd give in to marry him. And of course, Agatha had nothing to do with it, right? Then he denounced her to the civil authorities who also threw her into prison and they tortured her. They put her on a rack. They burned part of her body while she was still alive. 15 years old. Yep. 
And they even, right, disfigured her, right? Literally took her, quote-unquote, physical beauty away, right, by maiming her, removing her breasts. But she didn't flinch. And the funny thing is, Agatha in prison, when they thought she was just left there to die from everything they inflicted on her, there is a traditio that says, Peter appeared to her, and Peter healed her. So she did not die from her wounds. She died in prison. Wow. At 15. Could you imagine? And the word Agatha means good in Greek. It's beautiful. It's just a beautiful story and a testimony for us, too. When we are asked to make sacrifices and we kind of hedge our bets and we think this is too much and the Lord is asking us to do too much, when you look at the testimonies of the, of the people upon whom we depend, we, we owe our faith to, you say to yourself, my goodness gracious. Yeah. You know, e even before you get to her suffering, what something struck me as you were telling the story, Excellency, is that um, authentic Christian life Mm -hmm. is beautiful and attractive so that even non-Christians like this pagan Roman soldier or whoever he was, was attracted to that. It's, we should all live like that. Right, right. In the end, what, if you or I make our lives about what we want, ingratiating what we desire, however we do that, it becomes much harder to convert one's life because there's always something else to, to, to captivate our attention, another pleasure to seek. But if you make the fundamental choice to say, all these things are good, but they're not really what I'm seeking, yeah. then you'll have the disposition to come to faith. Now, this fellow did not come to faith in the end because he wanted what he wanted. Right. Agatha already had what she wanted, so she could care less what would happen. I just find it to be very humbling, almost embarrassing, to consider in the quiet of my own prayer, and I say to myself, okay, if I were in Agatha's shoes, if I were in Blaze's shoes, if I were in Peter's shoes, or Paul's shoes, or any martyr's shoes, what would I do? Like, what would I do right now? Like, what are you who are listening to me? What would you do right now? That's a very hard question to answer because you can't answer it. Oh, of course I do it. <laughs> right. You can't answer it flippantly. You have to answer it brutally, honestly. And, and there are times where I say to myself, there's a lot of spiritual work I have to do still to be able to say, yes, I would do that. Yeah. So to commemorate the saints is always a spiritual exercise of great fruit. Because not only do they teach us by their, by their witness, but they actually offer us, they offer us the challenges we need for that we could grow in holiness of faith. Yeah, amen. Mm -hmm. Okay. It, um, do, do you want to say, we only have a few minutes left in this segment, but do you want to say something about the month of the uh, Holy Family or? 
well, save it for another one no, year more well, no, time? No, it's a great segue for what I want to talk about. It's a tremendous segue. Um, in the second segment, what I'd like to do is I'd like to lift up, encourage, and challenge the parents who are listening to us because they have a sacred duty. But it's interesting, right, that the image of the family that we have in faith is the holy family. And as I said before, it's a family that was very much acquainted with the, the, the effects of gossip and malice, families that were acquainted with poverty, right, and want and need, and a family where at least the father was a foster father was not the biological or natural father of the son. Now, the fact that the son was revealed as the son of God is a dynamic that none of us have in our families. But nonetheless, it raises the question, what lessons can the Holy Family teach us, regardless of what our family looks like? Mm -hmm. And I'll offer one, and then I'm gonna ask you to offer one, right? From the heart, because there's no right or wrong answer here. The, the, the lesson that I walk away from, and it may sound strange, is the value, dignity, and beauty of work. Because they each had their chores. They each had their duties and responsibilities. And they did it for love. They didn't do it for money. They did it for love. Yes. And we live in a world almost where work has become kind of like um, something you have to do. <laughs> right. Right, so that you could enjoy your life. Yeah. But the Holy Family, that was a different. That was the, the workshop in Nazareth, right, was the home of Nazareth. And work was interweaved into everything they did. Our Lady and all the chores that she would have to, to be able to make sure they ate, right? Um, I, I think to myself, since it was the fabric of their life, then there was a joyful surrender to this way of showing a dignity of life and, and making a difference and effectively, concretely loving each other that I think in the modern world, sometimes we forget. Yeah. So that's a lesson the Holy Family can teach us. Yeah, beautiful. What about you? So I, I hate to follow that up because that was <laughs> amazing, but I guess the thing that always uh, resonates with me about the Holy Family is uh, the role of Joseph, and I guess because I'm a dad, um, but uh, you think about the Holy Family, and you've got God <laughs> as the Son, and you've got Mary, the perfect human, the only perfect human ever created, and you got Joseph, and Joseph was amazing and powerful, but of the three, he's clearly the the third, and still. He, it was his role to lead the family. And it was his role to lead the family in prayer, even, for example. And how do you do that when you're looking at Mary and you're looking at Jesus? But he, I'm sure he did it. And I guess that resonates with me because I, I can't go two days without feeling like I totally messed up. But... I have to keep going and say, okay, I'm an idiot, but it's my job to do this. I, I don't know if that. 
Oh no, I think I, I say. Well, first of all, I don't think you're an idiot. But, I mean, you're a lovable idiot. <laughs> I'll take that. But, but the truth is, we're all in that same camp. What you just said, I, I could say of myself too. Yeah. It's it's the image of fatherhood. We call God Father. We forget that for many people, the father figure in their life was very troubling. Many people carry wounds. And those wounds are hard to heal. But Joseph imaged fatherhood to Jesus in his human life. So imagine um, the responsibility he felt. Yeah. But again, I think the task of being a good mother and father, this is a preview to the next part. Yes. Is to do ordinary things, right? And allow God to have extraordinary effects come out of it. Yeah. Okay. Let's, we'll get more into that uh, in the next segment. Um, so we're going to take a break. This is Let Me Be Frank featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We will be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Uh, so, Excellency, you're going to talk about uh, the role of parents in yeah. the family as right. the educators of children. Right. Yeah. See, okay, we've spoken about this many times. And I just completed a series of, of videos that are going to be offered to the parents of our diocese. So this, my friends, is a sneak preview here today. <laughs> Don't tell anyone <laughs> of what those videos will speak of. Actually, the last one, which is the one that is the most practical, that I want to just open up and use every venue I have to kind of raise these questions because they're extremely important. The greatest vocation in the church, the most important vocation in the church, the most fundamental vocation in the church is Christian parenthood, father and mother. The clergy, particularly priests, are called fathers because there's that basic intuition. Fathers and mothers are the lifeline of grace. They are the fabric of faith. 
They are the foundation of the whole church. Simple as that. And you can speak to this authoritatively. I just speak to it from my own experience and my own observation. But being a parent in the modern world is getting more and more and more challenging because it seems as if many parents who want to be faithful as Christian parents are are voices that can easily be drowned out by other voices in society. Yes. Right? Yes. So our task as a church is to lift parents up, encourage them, support them, help them, love them, walk with them. Because if they cannot do what the Lord asks of them, the church cannot do what the Lord asks of the church either in the long term. So we have spoken before about parents being witnesses, not necessarily first and foremost teachers. That they are not called to educate their children first. They are called to form their children in the life of Christ. And education is only a small part of that. So once again, you ask the question, how does a parent form their child, son or daughter, in the life of Christ, into the image of Christ? So I'm curious. I'll offer you some ideas. I want to hear your ideas, Steve, because from your own experience. And I think I'd invite our listeners to you know, send in their ideas as well because this is a project in the making. Yeah. But let me begin by just simply asking this. I remember when I was a kid, young, young boy, and I would go to school, and classrooms were decorated, and I noticed it immediately, and it gave a rhythm to life, right? So it was the fall flowers stapled on the bulletin board, followed by the decorations of Halloween, mm-hmm. right? The cornucopias of Thanksgiving, of course, Christmas and its decorations, and on and on and on. That in Catholic school where I went was also coupled with all of the things we did in faith. So I remember the mite boxes. I remember the penances in Lent. I remember the Advent candle, the Advent wreath, Mm -hmm. etc. So this is my first question. If a person came into your home, would they know you were Catholic? You may say, well, Bishop, that's a silly question to ask <laughs> because I'm Catholic. Yeah, well, of course. But if no one were home and they walked into your house, right. would they know it was a Catholic home? So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the symbols of faith that should adorn, right? The symbols of faith that your children as they grow up will watch and see and ask questions about. So we just spent 25 minutes talking about people of faith, the saints. Well, does your house have a prominent crucifix? Does your house have an image of Our Lady in a prominent place? Does it have the images of the saints, your patron saints, or the saints of your culture, right? Is there a place for holy water in the house so that you can bless yourself when you enter, when you leave? Is there a space where the family naturally goes to pray and it is actually equipped to pray. Now, some people are saying, okay, Bishop, you're getting into the ethereal here. Uh, are you suggesting we have a prayer room? No, not necessarily. But I do think there has to be a place where the Bible is readily accessible. We could just pick it up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, rosaries are just for the taking. Because you don't have to search for them. Does that make sense? 
Total sense, yeah. So that's just a starting point Yeah. in formation. Because you never know. There are rosaries and a five-year-old will pick them up and come over and say, Daddy, what is this? They say, I will tell you. Come and see. I will tell you. You see what I mean? That's yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. The second is, when we talk about witnessing, remember what witnessing is. It is proclaiming in your words and illustrating by your actions what you believe in. And where we fail at times is that our words say something and our actions say something else. So there's three parts to witnessing. Word, action, and integrity of life. That's a witness. Every Christian's called to do that. Parents need to do that as well, clearly, because our children see when our words don't match our actions, whether you were talking natural parents or spiritual parents, like a priest or a bishop. So what are you actually modeling in behavior? Let's start with the basic. We've said before, to be a witness of faith is to help introduce your children to the life of God who is already present to them. It's not to say we have to go to a special place to find God. What you say is God is present here and when we discover his presence, he will then lead us to that special place. Mm -hmm. And that special place is where the whole family of families gathers around the altar. But you can't lead to one without the other, right? There's no bridge. Yes. So how do you witness that in your life? It's prayer. So I've said before, the key duty for all parents is to pray with their children. Pray grace. Pray at the end of the day. Pray at the beginning of the day. Three key moments. However, Can you or I model prayer for a young person if you and I do not pray ourselves? And the truth is, and this is not for embarrassment, this is just the truth, that the church has not done a very good job for a very long time to teach people how to pray. We've done okay teaching prayers, but to teach prayers and to pray are not the same thing, okay? So it is like having a car, but knowing how to drive. Mm. So the prayers are vehicles by which you can enter into prayer, which is that relationship with God. So the, 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 the challenge that parents have to really consider is, and, and not be embarrassed, but just simply say, well, do I pray? Do I know how to pray? Do I pray in a way that allows me to grow in my relationship? Or do I need help? Because the church can help, that's why we're here, is as adults to teach the different ways to pray. And many of them don't require any words at all. So let's say, for example, Steve, in your house, I'll put you on the spot. Yeah. You're, you're in the midst of you find whatever quiet corner you have to pray. And your son stumbles upon you praying. 
forget the catechism class. Yeah. Right? Right. Yep. That has taught the lesson. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, as you were speaking, I couldn't help but think of the 12 apostles. And as good Jewish boys and men, they had prayed all their life. But when they saw Jesus praying, at some point they realized, that's not what I'm doing. And they went to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Let, teach us how to do that, whatever right. that is. Exactly. Right. Right. And in, in a time when prayer was the multiplication of prayers, hmm. I've never really, actually, it's a very interesting question. I've never really counted how many words are in the Our Father, but they couldn't be more than 50 or 60. <laughs> right. Right. That's it. Yeah. Well, because that is, it's so, in a sense, if you have this strange image, this is a very strange image, of prayer, entering into prayer is like entering into a room. We even talk about the inner room, right? So the prayers uh, are the key to the door. You open the door and walk in, and then you sit and await to be surprised. Yeah. It's, t it's more of an intuition. It's more an act of the heart than the act of the mind to enter into prayer. Yeah. Right? A couple months ago, uh, in the confirmation class that I was teaching of 13 uh, eighth grade boys, and we were doing a session on, uh, on prayer, and one of the boys said, I don't even know how to pray. Mm-hmm. And he said, how do I pray? And I said, well, that might be a good start. I told him, I said, Lord, I don't even know what to say right now, but what do you want me to say to you and what do you want to say to me? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And prayer is a lifelong task. So when you first meet someone, you have to get acquainted. Yeah. So again, prayers are powerfully important in that. But even the rosary, the rosary is really a meditation the words are not as important as the rhythm of the prayer that allows you to enter into the mysteries. Then the mysteries speak to your heart. And that's Christ speaking to you. Mm. So again, for our parents. So now, everybody has a crazy, busy schedule, thousand things going on. So do the natural parents, our spiritual parents, do you make time every day, quality time, to spend it in prayer? sometimes saying prayers. Mm -hmm. And this is a question clearly of quality over quantity. You will be distracted to no end when you start to do this. And I still fight those distractions, unbelievable, every day. It's like, it's like Jacob struggling, right? <laughs> it's just amazing because I know the day has a thousand things going on and I have to do this, I have to go say that, did I do this, did I print that? Did I? And I keep saying, all right, enough, 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 enough. And then it's, uh, some days it's just like a lost battle. Hmm. But the struggle is not the lost battle, right? Yes. That is your prayer. Yeah. It's the best you can do. It's all God asks. So that's another challenge. Another then, another challenge in witnessing is ritual. Ritual. Now, do you have rituals? Oh, yeah, sure. Can you, are you comfortable share one? Uh, um. Well, so uh, every here's a here's a, uh, a a silly not silly but simple one. Every morning uh, before my kids leave for school or as I drop them off, um, I do two things. Number one, I give them a, a blessing as their father, 
and I tell them they they it's turned into a joke, but not a joke, but they uh, they laugh about it now. I, uh, the last words I say to them: make good decisions today. <laughs> so oh yeah. oh yeah, I can say here it goes again. Yeah, <laughs> but but you see, you're you're imparting a blessing. That's a ritual. Now your children are a bit older, right? But when you're four years old, and your father does the sign of the cross on your forehead it means a lot even the warmth of the hand it speaks volumes and remember your hand is the surrogate for the hand of god because god gave you those children they're his first sorry to say they are so the rituals what are the rituals you know i i have dear friends of mine who when they offer grace they all hold hands. Hmm. It's a simple ritual. And the grace could be like, whoop, <laughs> off to dinner. But the ritual does speak volumes. Yeah. Right? So again, I asked those who are listening. I asked, well, I asked myself, I know the answer to my own question on this is, what rituals did you have as little children that perhaps you have forgotten to pass on to your, ch- to your children? What rituals did your grandparents have Right? Rituals that are rooted in the culture you came from, right? Or the neighborhood you grew up in. A lot of those rituals are tied to the seasons of the church, the seasons of nature, um, the rhythm of life. But they mean a lot. Mm. And in some sense, they're the anchors around which people can build their life of faith. So in many ways, I would ask people to consider this. And the parents who are listening saying, okay, Bishop, but the bottom line is we didn't have any. My parents didn't have any. My grandparents lived in Arizona. I have no idea. There aren't any. And my response back is then decide to start them. Create them. Simple. Right? I think it's just tremendous. And something very simple. If you as a parent are uncomfortable saying, doing what you're doing, blessing your children individually, then one beautiful ritual would be is to, is to buy a little holy water font and hang it on the inside of your front door in the lintel. And just as our Jewish brothers and sisters, right, have the ritual of the blessing yes. as they enter and leave the house, yes. why not just ask your children to take a little holy water and once a day bless themselves as they leave? Yeah. Because then, the next time you bring them to church and they do the same thing going into church, you see the connection yeah. between the two spaces, home and the spiritual home. Yep. Right? Yep. I would also argue, Excellency, that uh, even if you don't have Christian rituals in your house, you do have rituals. Whether it's every Sunday afternoon, you, the family sits down and flips on the football game or whatever it is. Not saying that that should be the ritual, but you do have rituals that you have established in your family. Absolutely. And you should examine... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And remember, not all the rituals need be religious. Exactly, yes. Because you want to build up your family life, you want camaraderie, you want time spent together and all the rest of it. So some of those are great. Well, I've, how many times have I spoken about Sunday? Right? Growing up, that was a ritual. Yeah. Right? But it, it, it had a religious overtone because we prayed. But other than that, it was like a free-for-all. <laughs> but that's to your point. It's an excellent point. And then... There's the next challenge, which are the stories. The stories. 
You know, um, I had a very interesting conversation uh, with Patrick Donovan, who is the head of the Institute on Formation here. Yes. In preparation for those videos about the stories of faith. And I had to admit that when I was growing up, my family did not share the stories of their faith, their personal stories of faith. Like, I have no idea to this day whether my father went to Mass. I doubt it, as a young man. Went to Mass, or he participated in the Holy Days, or he never spoke of it. And I, quite frankly, never asked. Because they grew up in a time when that was a much more personal question. Mm. But Patrick raised the, the issue that for uh, his family and for other families that he knows, when parents share those stories of faith, their children are absolutely fascinated and love them. Yeah. Same true for you? Yes. Yes, it is. Right. Now, are you comfortable telling the stories of your faith growing up? Yeah. You know, uh, yes, because it, it's actually easier than you think because, as Patrick said, the kids want to hear them. And so, I mean, we talk about stories of saints, which are easy to, to talk about, but we also talk about, and, and it just comes in the normal course of telling about your life. Oh, I remember when I was 12 and I really struggled with this. And if you lived a life where God was somehow involved, it's very easy to, to bring that into it, right. you know? Or, or, you, or if it wasn't when you were a kid, you could say, I've said, you know, if I could do it again, mm -hmm. I think I'd do it this way. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and there are stories of family that are not overtly religious that also need to be, to be shared because of the identity they create, yes. the sense of belonging they create. Yeah. Right? So just the stories of what life was like in old little Kajano on the top of the mountain. As a kid, I was fascinated. Half of them I didn't believe because I didn't think people <laughs> lived that way. Right? But and those stories, too, have to be shared. Yes. Right? And then there is the, 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 the one great challenge, and that is every parent in their sacred duty of forming their children need to bring their children to the feet of the master. And that is at Sunday Mass. Mm. Sunday Mass is not our prayer. It's Christ's prayer that we enter into. It's not a gathering of social assembly. It is coming into the presence of Jesus. The same Jesus who walked the earth, the same Jesus who teached and preached, the same Jesus who died and rose from the dead. He is there, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And even if you cannot receive him personally, he is still there giving you his grace. So if we're talking about forming our children, how could you possibly do all of these things at home, in school, in the neighborhood, but the one place where he, they actually get introduced to Jesus, You're right. they're not going. Right, yeah. Now, there's a thousand reasons people will give you, and all thousand reasons, forgive me for being frank, forgive me for being blunt, all those reasons, as important as they are, do not trump the fact that our sacred duty is to be with the Master, with the Lord, once a week yeah. on Sunday. And if you bring them, that's all you need to do. You're going to be praying like everyone else, and the Lord will do all the rest, right? 
Amen, Excellency. As, as much as I strayed and wandered in college, and I did pretty badly, something took me back to Sunday Mass every week, even though none of the rest of my week looked like Christian. But it was the anchor that my parents had, had set. Right, right, exactly. And I think, again, in the rituals that you create in your family, you have to add going to Sunday Mass as a ritual. Mm-hmm. So go to Sunday Mass and go out to have something to eat. Go to Sunday Mass and go stop at Dunkin' Donuts and have you know your coffee and donuts and whatever you want afterwards or before, as long as you observe the fast. I mean, there's so many different, or go visit grandma afterwards. I yeah. mean, there's a thousand things you could do. You make it like going to watch football. Right. You gotta make it part of the ritual. But I think, honestly, we talk about all this stuff that you and I have talked about, and the older I get, the more I reflect on it, the more I realize, my goodness, none of this is going to work unless our families truly, and our parents in particular, are supported in what they need to do. There may be a, thousands, who knows how many people are going to listen to this and say, but Bishop, I would do it, but mm-hmm. I can do that yet. But you know what? we got to get beyond the buts, the howevers, the yets. We have to. And that's why the church is here, to be of help to you. That's why your pastors are there. They are your fathers so that you can be mothers and fathers. That is why the people of God are here, to lift you up, to encourage you. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to challenge. Don't be afraid to have your own personal needs met. Yeah. Right? Yes. Because nothing else we're going to do is going to matter for the long term if we don't lift up the family and we can't lift up the family unless we love, honor, and accompany our fathers and mothers. Yeah, yep. And it's certainly, I, I, I do this all the time. I look around at other families and I'm like, whoa, they have it all together. Mm-hmm. Boy, the Lees are in trouble. <laughs> um, but we're all on a journey. Absolutely. And we're all trying as long as, as, long as you keep Absolutely. going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and let me just state the obvious, too. I think, you know, families now come in many different forms. The majority of, of young people, for example, in the metropolitan area live in a, in a family with only one parent. So therefore, a mother or a father has to really fulfill the duties that they are and some of the duties that the, the missing parent. So it's even that much more difficult. All the more reason the church needs to step in and be of help. Yes. And I, and again, I'm not a natural parent, but I would imagine that there could be many times where you feel absolutely overwhelmed. You know, you tried to do the best for your children and they throw tantrums. They seem not to be grateful for the things that you do for them. Or you ask them for simple obedience and they rebel at the simplest things. And you say to yourself, well, what am I doing well? Like, well, I don't, I'm, you're at your wit's end. What do you do? And maybe you don't know what to do, but somebody in the family of the church can help, <laughs> right? Yeah, yep, yep. That's what we're about. That is going to, that, if we don't get to that point, then we are not going to be able to achieve the fruit that the Lord wants of us in the modern world. And all of that is internal to the family that you said. That's not even to mention the tidal wave that is against us and everything we believe and all the values we're trying to instill. Right, right. Well, all of that tidal wave has, like a tsunami has a single point. That entire tidal wave is rooted in the simple decision, maybe conscious or not, that I am going to seek what I want when I want it. 
at whatever cost it takes because I believe that is what will fulfill me. Yeah. And it won't. And the, and the legacy of, of just hurt and woundedness that comes from that is just astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. We, just, we actually just talked about this last week <laughs> with violence. Yeah. Okay. Gosh. Well, so uh, the video series that you're doing then, is that a part of... What we're going to offer to our parents, um, in a f- I guess in a few weeks... To parents in our schools, in our religious education programs, there's a few. There's a few. Great. Yeah, and just and it's basically this is the preview of everything that we, in, at least in one of them, we, we spoke about, and it really is just an invitation to partner with parents and to and to help them. Amazing. We need it. Yeah. We need it. Yeah, Thank you. Okay, so let's take one more break, and uh, we'll come back with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, here is this week's question. It says, Bishop Caggiano, I like to attend daily Mass at a parish near where I work. However, in order to make it work on time, I have to leave after communion. So should I not receive communion if I cannot stay until the end of Mass? That's, uh, that's an excellent question. And it does raise a very uh, important lesson that I think we all need to reflect on. And I've heard it many different ways. I'm going to try to explain it this way. It, it, is, it is neither helpful nor fruitful to sacrifice the very good on the altar of the perfect. It would be perfect, if I could use that word, if you could stay and offer your spiritual offering and complete the Mass. But if you are unable to do so, it is still very good to go to Mass and receive the Lord. And you can make your spiritual offering in the quiet of your heart as you're walking to work. Because if that is all that you are capable of doing, that is all the Lord will ask of you. That is very different from those who choose not to stay for no good reason, right? To beat the rush. <laughs> right. So, so my, my advice to you would be, be at peace, receive the Lord, and as you leave church, make it your business to offer your spiritual thanks to the Lord as you are going to work. The quiet of your heart will be your church until you get to work. Beautiful. Okay. If you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and Veritas Catholic Network is there too. And we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, And you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thank you for a great week. And would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, the light of the nations has come into our midst, a light who is your beloved Son. 
we ask that we be faithful to him as his missionary disciples to bring the light of love, hope, and faith to every human heart. And I ask that you bless our listeners and bless all of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, Steve, next week, same time, same place. 